Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, X, and Rumble. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, onto the show. This nun, Sister Ewens, is pregnant with twins. She claims it's immaculate. You don't think that these children are from God? I think all children are from God. She says her two unborn kids talk to her, and that she knows that one of them is good. And one is evil. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 557. Releasing September 29 in theatres across the US and on video on demand is Deliver Us, a religious horror that tells the story of a Russian nun who claims immaculate conception when she gives birth to twin boys, one the Messiah and the other the Antichrist. Sent to investigate by the Vatican is a Catholic priest who discovers a vast conspiracy. A film of impeccable craft, engrossing storytelling and powerful performances, Deliver Us is a high-grade example of religious horror done right, with its themes of faith, sacrifice, free will, and a duality of good and evil sure to stir the souls of its viewers. And joining me now on the podcast is the film star, co-writer, producer, and director Lee Roy Coons, and the film's director, producer, crew, Ennis Lee and crew. I thank you both very much for joining me today. Ah, thank, thank you, you so much. It's great to be so, here. Lee, I got to ask you first. So from what I understand of the the origins of this movie is that you did write the film with your brother, but it was your dad, right, who kind of pretty much came up with the, the concept of the film, right? So how did that kind of come about that he has this awesome kind of uh, 
concept for you and your brother and, and later on crew and Isaac and the guys to really uh, dig into? Yeah, well, I mean, he had a losing streak for a while. He was giving me bad idea after bad idea. And we were at a brewery together. And there was this baby that these irresponsible parents had left on the floor. And mm. we had to kind of keep an eye on him. And then my dad just like, okay, just, just listen, shut up. I have a good idea. And he pitched it to me about a nun that is pregnant with twin boys. One's the Messiah and one's the Antichrist. And then I was just like, dad, that's... I want that's the best idea at first <laughs> ever heard. Uh, and so uh I asked my brother if he wanted to write it with me and we jumped into it right away. And, so crew, when you when you hear about this uh, idea that Lee has, what's your reaction to it? Is is are you as enthusiastic of the uh, idea of it as a well? And are you thinking in your head at that moment, what's your filmmaking brain doing? What type of concepts and such is coming through your brain um as uh Lee and his brother are putting this script together? Well, it was immediate excitement because I hadn't heard that idea. And it's, 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 I feel like it's something that should have been done before. You know, the, I like the idea, I don't know how someone didn't get to this sooner. And so when he pitched it to me, I immediately got very, very excited. Sorry about that. And um, then we were off to the races from the very beginning. Uh, Three months after that, we were in Estonia uh, in pre production. So it all happened very quickly. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, Lee, when you and your bro uh, get together, uh, you and Kane get together and you start working on a script for the movie, what type of, you know, you're dealing, it's a religious horror, but it's very prominent in its kind of themes in regards to the theolo- a lot of theological kind of deep themes in the movie. Where do you kind of, like, start in regards to delving into, like, say, um, uh, biblical or literal or even film influences in regards to the framing of the movie because you're going to have to d- dig into certain things here um, and I'm sure on, on your in your case uh, you want to make sure that you get a lot of these concepts right not only in regards to uh, a filmmaking storytelling aspect but to me there is a, a very certain air of um, authenticity to it because it's a, it's a it's a movie that takes its themes very seriously you can feel that in it and that's why i really enjoyed about it because sometimes i think you watch films and they kind of skirt along the lines of these um of these um themes i i like to i coined the term called cat exploitation where a lot of filmmakers take catholic themes and are kind of like to exploit them to make a mm-hmm. film where in this case it feels like that the themes in the film feel much more resonant, much more authentic. So, what type of um, what type of influences, what type of um, uh, inspirations are you and and Kane uh, diving into in framing this script? I say uh, first and foremost, probably like certain stories from the Bible that we uh, like Job, in, like um, was used to explore Father Fox's character, um, revelations, and then as a Catholic, revelations. It's we kind of see it a little bit differently is that it's a it's more it was like a work of art that was written and it was like a type of fiction apocalyptic fiction uh, mm-hmm. meant to uh, give uh, comfort and inspiration to the christians at the time that were being persecuted by the romans and being like fed to the lions and so the the kind of freedom in that uh, of to use art to explore those themes is kind of natural to us and also uh both big dostoevsky fans and uh, the Brothers Karamazov, there's this chapter in it called The Grand Inquisitor that uh, Ivan writes about um, that Jesus comes back. Uh, it's a second coming to Jesus, and it happens during the Spanish Inquisition. And the Catholic Church 
actually uh, captures him and then um, basically interrogates him and tells him everything that he's done wrong, that he gave people too much free will and that they were correcting it. And so that inspired what we say the bad part, which Box Day is like this renegade part of the church that thinks they know better and that are kind of acting in the shadows. So that was then, you know, each piece came from something else. Mm -hmm. And then our unifying theme was trying to connect it to other world religions as if each religion has like, like this deep wisdom and they're all scratching at parts of the truth. But I think part of religion is that we're never seeing the whole of it all. And so we started with Zoroastrianism, which is one of the precursors to Christianity um, I don't think it predates Judaism in terms of uh, like monotheism, but it was definitely one of the first ones about talking about a, a, of two opposing forces in the world, good and evil. And so our film starts with the Zoroastrian priests in an Iranian temple being, uh, you know, this prophecy being taken from them. Speaking of that opening scene crew, you know, the movie is very much a, a slow burn, but that opening scene, when I watched it, I was like, these guys aren't fucking around, all right, because I was watching the scene, and it's like, it's, it's, it's pretty kind of like, it's full on, but again, it's not in regards to uh, exploitation, it's it goes in regards to the, the themes in the movie, and in this case, that opening scene, I don't want to give it away too much for people, it is startling, but it's very much part of the story, it's part of the, the opposing theologies that's happening, but to open a film like that crew, um, is there much debate amongst you or to, to whether you wanted to start a film like that? Because usually sometimes I watch films and they kind of build up to a moment like that. But in this case, you guys are really stepping right into uh, this is the world that we're in. Um, we're dealing with flesh. We're dealing with blood. You know, themes that can be both, you know, um, uh, uh, literal, uh, theological, etc. Um, but in, in but in this case, very much so. It's very much literal. So to, to dive into a, a world like that crew, and, and introduce the world in that way. Is it something that you guys really had to talk about quite a bit? Because, you know, just like an opening song of an album, you want to make sure you make an impact, right. but it, the impact depends on really much uh, the tone you want to set for the rest of the, of the movie. It was a, um, from the get-go, it was a Top Gun discussion with our assembly editor uh, after the, when the script was written to production with our assembly editor. And then uh, afterwards, whenever me and, uh, Leroy were deciding what would be the best version of this film in order to reach the world. And it's important, you know, as far as bookends of the movie to start the movie that way, because how we end the movie. So opening with the worst that humanity has to offer and what mm. we're capable of was really important to set the tone and, and give us the momentum uh, to get to know these characters in the way that we did. So it's hard to elaborate it on any, any further without giving anything away. Yes. But, um, yeah, we, uh, you know, establishing the prophecy, the, you know, how and why they had to do what they did to these priests, we thought was important and we thought it would get people's attention. And so far, the feedback we've gotten is it definitely does. Lee, I want to talk about the visual approach to the movie. There's such a strong, I mean, Visually wise, like the photography from Isaac Bauman, who you, you you guys known for a very long time, um, the work that he does in the film is incredible. Um, but when it comes to certain things in regards to visions, dreams in the film, um, there are scenes, there are imagery that really stand out and pop. Um, and I know your background is um, you are a graphic novelist as a background. 
so does that come into play when it comes to those kind of images? Do you like the storyboard? Do you have IDs that maybe you had beforehand and like, you know what, I remember I drew something from like a couple of years ago and it might go good. And how does that kind of all kind of come, come into play? Yeah, there, there, there were kind of ways like, okay, that this is the way that, uh, that God would be co like communicating with them. And me and Isaac actually are really both into dreams. Like we've read a lot of Carl Jung books and seen mm. like how, uh, like whether or not it's like a collective conscious, but that, that, that this is a way that these, that these certain images that resonate with everybody. And so we kind of stick to that, but like, there's some of my favorite dream sequences that weren't in it that kind of, uh, tell the story of his journey, which is like all these blind people running with flesh covered their eyes. They're running towards a cliff and they're about to fall off. And father Fox is trying to stop them. And so we, we, we kind of workshopped a lot of different ones uh, to then get to like the ice cross uh, him coming out of the ice. We found out that that's actually a, uh, it's how people in the, the Eastern Orthodox church actually go get baptized. Really? And so then we, yeah, they take go out there. And so we're like, okay, this is perfect because in, in a sense he is being baptized into taking on this role and this is the journey that he's about to go on. And so everything that we did with the dream was kind of tied into that kind of, some kind of meaning that was um, like already shared in a culture. You mentioned before Estonia. Um, I think something that really pops out of, of in the film is the locations in the movie, the different places, the monastery, the, the, the hut, um, the, the house that um, father, um, father, the father's um, uh, girlfriend lives in. Um, I want to talk about the, 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 um, the monastery, especially, or, or the convent, so I should say. Where did you find that place? Because it was just a, a, quite an incredible uh, thing to watch on screen because just the way that the, um, the candles are used, the, the use of um, use of shadows, light and darkness, I think you couldn't think of a, a better uh, location to shoot a, a film uh, like uh, Deliver Us than, than that place right there. Thank you. It was actually a vodka uh, distillery abandoned. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> we had an incredible uh, production designer, uh, Lisa. Uh, unfortunately, I can't pronounce her last name, but um, she, you know, she worked wonders. We built the that room from scratch where they we mm. had the opening dinner where they're having the soup. That's built from scratch. She did all that with her team. And um, when we got to when we got to Estonia. Um, we had an incredible support system. Like the the crew that we ended up with was the best the region has to offer because of the pandemic. So uh, we got to look at, you know, tons of different locations and craft our story around them. And we, we you know, took uh, a large chunk of the budget and put it towards that monastery and let Lisa really flex with her skills in order to set that tone that we, you know, that we live in for the first, like, I don't know, 20 minutes of the movie yeah. after our, our teaser. So, um, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was given as a choice among other, several other great places. Estonia is a, an incredible place to work and we're, I know we're both looking forward to doing something else there. And the just to piggyback on that, the place, the, um, kind of like the shots of the snow driven landscapes and stuff, is that also Estonia as well? Oh yeah. So, um, when we got there, uh, early January, there was only six hours of light a day. So mm -hmm. it was basically dark and just completely covered in snow. And so we had snow right up until uh, the end of the first week of shooting. And then it just all disappeared. <laughs> it, was, it was all gone. And then as we needed it in the story, it would just snow. And 
um, there was many different landscapes, this beautiful, lush green forest. And then an hour away, you would have a frozen, beautiful white tundra. You know, it was great. And then you had the cliffs and the ocean and it was uh, it was great. We, there's so much more there, too, for our the next films that we want to explore. But, um, yeah, there's a lot. You know what? Was... Yeah, go ahead, sir. No, I said, yeah, there was a lot. It was beautiful. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Tee Public. Tee Public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, Tee Public is sure to have something you love. Please support Matt's movie reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. You know, it's something that I, I, I'm picking up on quite a bit with talking to filmmakers in the last year or so is that post-COVID, they are, there is, have been much more um, uh resource much more effort into finding places to shoot outside of the US. Now, that was the case before um, because of tax incentives and such. People might go to Australia, people might go to Canada. But I do find places like what you said before, Estonia, Croatia, Serbia, Romania, a place like that have become much more kind of like popular. Are are you finding as well, well, crew, that that a lot of places like that have become much more popular uh, with independent filmmakers, especially um, especially like post-COVID where there, even even now, there's still kind of, kind of like some rumblings that maybe mask mandates might come back, etc. I mean, are places like that an alternative? And do you think it's going to be a permanent alternative to a lot of filmmaking from now and in the future going on? Well, I think the protocols that were put in place are, you know, they're easily, easily scalable. So if it continues, that's fine. We know how to deal with it. You know, I think that we go and make movies where we have a support structure. And I think places like Estonia... Germany, Italy, um, Bulgaria, uh, or excuse me, Romania, like they, they're, they're building up su- such exceptional crews that it's, it's, and they have incentives. So it, it helps us go and make stories more authentic, uh, authentic. So, uh, yeah, I think that's only going to get better in the future, especially as this, it gets easier to make film with technology and the, we're able to communicate the skill set it takes to make one. You know, I think that's the biggest hurdle is like these skill sets, these jobs, they matter, you know, and um, like these people's life's works go and crafting this skill that takes to be a great, you know, grip or electric or gaffer or art department or whatever. And we were, you know, lucky enough to find that in Estonia, but ugh, such great artists there. Lee, I wanted to ask you about what your thoughts are about the rise of religious horror over the last few years. It's really interesting. Horror movies are kind of interesting to me because they kind of goes in like, um, there's like all these different kind of like subgenres that kind of pop up and that kind of like is like the thing for the, for the moment. And it becomes a very, it's, it stays there and a lot of people kind of follow suit. Religious horror is, is, is interesting because in, I think to me, in a lot of contexts, religion plays a big part in horror stories because the, the stories are usually based around good versus evil and the supernatural, and a lot of them happens within the Christian context, right? So, um, especially in like um, yeah, yeah, North America and such. 
Um, but lately, it seems like it's gotten really, really popular. Um, and there's a lot of interesting work coming out of it as well. Do you think it's it's a thing where religious horror lends itself more um, in regards to iconography, in regards to theme, to create really good movies around there? Do you think there's something else going on um, in the context of that subgenre being so popular lately? Yeah, I think it's probably influenced a lot by the culture and how everybody feels. I think COVID probably had a profound effect on it. Um, just the kind of, and then also just that feeling out there. I I saw an, uh, like a, a a survey about like what Gen Z thinks about like the end of the world, and hmm. I think a big portion of them think that like the the world's not going to last longer than I don't know like twenty or fifty years or something like that. And so I think that that the end of the world genre stuff, it kind of started a little bit with dystopian. I think like Hunger Games and all the young adult novels is all about like society collapsing. And so maybe like we're finally like revisiting the what I think the 70s was like the best uh, example of uh, religious horror. And so mm -hmm. maybe we're kind of entering back that in and just a way to express a lot of what everybody's feeling. When it comes to yourself and Lee as two directors working on, on the one movie, you guys have known each other for a long time. I think all the way back to like film school, right? Like you guys know each other and Isaac as well. And you have your own uh, production company together as well. But when it comes to working together on set, especially when like Lee's like also starring in the movie, et cetera, is there a kind of like having such a like a strong long relationship personal and work-wise for such a long time is there that kind of like a symbiosis where you both kind of know each other's instincts and and there's a trust factor there that when it comes to uh making certain decisions and such um you can you, there's a reliance on one another to that yes we know exactly what one another is doing we have the same mindset and going forward or is there still kind of like even to this day um our uh, conversation uh, debate in regards to uh, working on a movie because I, I find it very um, interesting how you can have when you have two creative minds work together to try to make this uh, the one uh, the one project. Really good question. Um, most of that happens in pre production for us. Mm -hmm. So like we're both addicted to working. Like we really enjoy this and like grinding out what and why we want to do something and how we want to do it. And so, um, you know, we had uh, we had a very extensive pre-production and then going into actual production, it, there's a lot of trust. You know, you don't ever want to, you know, disagree in front of the crew. You know, you want to be on the same page. They need to know that we have uh, we know what we're doing and what we're trying to capture. And I think we did a really good job of that. Like we we came in prepared. We had a very tight schedule, very tight budget. And we had a, a, like a lofty, lofty goals for this film. I mean, our film does not look like what it cost. It, mm. it certainly doesn't entertain like it cost. So um, with that, I think, yeah, it came down to pre-production and then trust. Like our relationship is uh, like we've known each other so long. It's more like family driven. So there's no filters. We're able to get in a room, make mistakes and get over them relatively quickly and go out there and do what's best for the film and i mean i think that's ultimately what happened in estonia and that's why we got such an entertaining film that people are really responding to lee when it comes to the character you're playing in the film he's got a really good quote in the movie where he says um uh he'd rather be a good christian rather than a bad priest and not to give away too much but within the first kind of like five minutes of the movie you kind of know kind of know where 
you know, your character's journey is as a priest. He's kind of like, um, you know, on the process of leaving the priesthood for, you know, for the reasons that he has. Um, and I'm really curious in regards to putting the character like that together. Um, from what I read, you yourself are, uh, have a strong Catholic background and and from all indications, you'd like to read about theology and all sorts of stuff as well. When you have a character like that in a movie like this, is this an opportunity for you to kind of um, put a, express your own kind of like um, uh, thoughts, desires, frustration in regards to what you think the church is, what you want it to be, and um, and, and any other type of kind of like um, uh, thoughts you might have about the church as an institution, as a faith, and the priests uh, that the role the clergy has in it as, as well. Yeah, definitely. I actually I got that quote. It was a uh, it was a book that I read that Pope Francis wrote. It was a conversation between him and his uh, like one of his best friends who's a rabbi when I think it was before he became pope. Uh, and um, yeah, I was uh, I was interested in a character like that who is uh, who is still very faithful and Christian, but then uh, still deciding to leave the church. Um, I think that to ask about the institution, I kind of like to exploring vo the vo Vox Day using that part when the church has done uh, some really horrible things. Like I'm still upset about how they handled the the child sex scandal. Yeah, um, I don't think I don't think enough. Uh, they were too silent about it. I don't think that yep. it's like they didn't punish enough people. And so I think that that's like kind of a way to acknowledge that, like, uh, that, of course, bad people are going to be able to to infiltrate this uh, human institution thing. And so that Vox Day would be a good way to, like, exercise that and work that out. Um, and yeah, to to I guess it says a lot that, like, like you can uh uh still like that the that what is important to me about being Catholic and the institution, there's so much truth and beauty in it that there's still this that too many times people cover up for that bad stuff. You know, I guess yeah. you know says yeah. Oh well I I agree one hundred ten percent about everything you just said there. There's so many and it, it's a to me, um, I think a lot of times what the your character has gone through a lot of times he's confronted with a lot of different things in the film. And again, I don't want to give away anything in regards to that. But I think it's really interesting how um, we, uh, uh, any, as Catholics or any religious people or anyone really who has a, a, a strong belief in an ideology or a faith or, or what have you, when you're um, confronted with um, the bad sides or the bad doings of um, things within that faith or that institution, how we kind of kind of wrestle kind of with that kind of like inner thing. And I'm sure like your character as well as you, like um, is just completely wrestling. I mean, in regards to the movie, he's like wrestling with so many things going on in this, but like, I don't want to give away too much, but I'm sure like these uh, inner monologue would have been interesting. Do you, do you as a, as an actor, when you approach a character like that, who's gone through such a transition in regards to, to faith and just to how the, the rules of the game have kind of changed for him, um, running funny his eyes, his eyes, do you like to write, um, uh, diaries? Do you like to write um, uh, backstory? Do you like to write things like that in regards to your characters? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, like have a whole, like there's even backstory that I realize is really funny to Canadians is that Father Fox is actually from um, uh, <laughs> that's a bad thing to forget where I'm from. Edmonton. Edmonton. And it's, but it, that dialogue and there's a lot of uh, even uh, that got, that got deleted that that's where he's going to go back and raise his family. And they, you know, it's, it's read that like he, um, he uh, thought that that would just be a great place to live. 
So I've basically, yeah, we, I map out all that stuff. I talk to it with crew. And then by the time we're filming it, just to completely let it all go. And even in the story, like there's a lot of stuff that gets cut out just so that it's, um, you know, it's the lived in experience. It get, all that informs it. Yeah. When it comes to deliver us, from what I from what I understand, um, this is like not the end of the road when it comes to this story. Um, there's like uh, I heard before in other interviews that you guys have done, there's a possibility of maybe a few more films in the pipeline. Of course, it all comes down to the success of what helped deliver us, and and uh, and, and and you know I pray that it does do great business because it's such a great film. Um, if it does hit the, the financial goals that you guys are hoping that it achieves. Um, is there a good chance that we could see more of this story, um, either in regards to a sequel, prequel, what have you, um, and make and delve more into this world and flesh out uh, this world that we've um, we've had a taste of so far? I think so. Yeah, I mean, me and Leroy have, and Isaac have all talked about where the story would go, and Leroy and Kane have uh, uh, made made some good pitches for a sequel and a, a third film. And, you know, this was a lot of fun to make and it like helped us or me especially examine things in my life. And I would want to continue that journey for myself and, you know, for the characters in the film. I think they would, too. Um, It just, you know, we got to hit a certain mark. You know, the film's got to succeed in order to be able to ask for resources to do something like that. So um, our fingers are crossed come September 29th that people show up and enjoy what we've worked so hard for. Yeah, so for everyone out there listening, September 29, Deliver Us. Um, look, you can have the choice to watch this uh, from home, but I really, really, really encourage people to watch this in cinemas because, like Cruz said, um, this is a film that you wouldn't think it would it cost what, what it make to cost because this is a the visuals, the performances, just there's, there's a thickness to the, to the visuals and everything that belongs to a big screen. And I think this is a big screen experience. It really is. Um, not to mention like the sound effects as well. I think it's got one of the best jump scares I've seen in a little while. It's like near the start of the film as well. Um, you really actually made me go like that um, when I was watching it. Um, so I, I can't wait for people to do that in cinemas. And I encourage everyone out there, watch this in cinemas because this is the type of independent horror filmmaking, uh, the craft, the performances, the um, the um, themes that is right up my alley. I love this film and I want everyone out there to share that same experience and watch it. So watch it in cinemas if you can. If you can't, you have other options to be on demand, but watch it in cinemas. It's the perfect thing, uh, perfect movie to start off um, uh, Halloween season. I think, I think suffice, suffice to say um, that it's going to be a very high task for movies to follow um, this com- coming in October uh, to match up what you guys are doing because it's one of my favourite horror movies of the year, i got to say. So you guys have done a great job. Um, congratulations to you both, crew and Lee. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't wait to get my review out, get this podcast out, man, and see uh, how this film does um, because I, I think it's a really great work here. So thank you so much for your time. And, um, yeah, congratulations and best success to you. Thank you, Matthew. We appreciate it very much. That was amazing.